if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers bearing crosses or stars of David. They add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed. And hour number two is underway. Nine minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks so much for being with us. Coming up in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to a challenger. A challenger for Anthony Gonzalez's seat in Congress. He's still got two more years because he was just reelected, but Anthony Gonzalez is up in 2022, and Jonah Schultz wants to make sure he doesn't go back after what he did, the shameful vote uh, for impeachment, joining the Democrats for their show trial without any evidence or due process. That's coming up at 935. But for now, uh, for the next 20 minutes, it's going to be pretty much open lines. Whatever you want to get into on this third morning of the second month of the year of our Lord 2021 is fair game for me. I want to start, though, with this just briefly. <clears throat> I shared a... Um, or excuse me, I share. I, uh, I I saw a and listened to an interview with the father of um, Dylan Buckner. Dylan Buckner uh, is an 18 year old high school senior. Rather, was an 18 year old high school senior in Illinois, uh, Glenbrook North High School. He was a star quarterback. Uh, not only was a star quarterback, he was highly recruited apparently to become a star college quarterback except for the fact that he wasn't able to have a senior season. He didn't get a chance to play, and Dylan Buckner took his own life. Um, Maybe you've heard the story, maybe you haven't. His family is suing the state of Illinois and the governor of Illinois for the ridiculous policies that are keeping these kids under lock and key and keeping everyone under lock and key because it is having an, having an extraordinary psychological and emotional impact on all of them. And this young man's suicide is just one example of that. Suicide hotline calls are up by triple digits in terms of percent. Uh, depression is up by triple digits. Um, drugs are being used at an extraordinarily higher rate. Domestic abuse is off the charts. People are going stir-crazy in places where the heavy hand of government is taking away their ability to live freely. And this young man was just one example of it. His parents say isolation from the pandemic made his struggles with the depression that he already had even more challenging and that they want to share his story in the hope that it might save lives. 
He was looking forward to seeing his son, uh, was uh, Chris Buckner, looking forward to seeing his son graduate, go on to college, said he, he had the perfect life. Smart kid, athletic kid, tons of friends, but the star quarterback of the Glenbrook, Glenbrook North football team, who has also been battling depression for some time, could not get over having his school and his season taken away from him. We don't know when a child suffering from anxiety or depression will have a trigger that sets off something like this, and that's so tragic and so sad, said psychotherapist Kate Schneider. She had says there has been a dramatic increase in mental health issues and emergencies among young people in recent months. Parents should look out for warning signs, including a big change in behavior, such as going from talkative to quiet, spending more time in isolation, like in one's bedroom, and doing less connecting with friends. You do not have to have had a pre-existing depression condition to be pushed over the edge. Sometimes this can all come on at once, and there are far too many kids who are experiencing that now, not to mention adults who have lost their jobs and their ability to provide for their families. They're worried about keeping their homes, they're worried about keeping their cars, paying their medical bills, paying their health insurance premiums, and so forth. And it's leading to, quite frankly, what Donald Trump talked about as being the cure being worse than the disease. People are losing their lives over this. In states all around the country, in fact, I want to say 48 states, allowed some form of fall sports seasons to take place in their high schools. Not all, like my son's team, for example, here, was limited to six games instead of the regular 10 on the schedule plus playoffs they would have gone into had they not been, there not been COVID lockdowns and COVID issues. Uh, in some states, they got to play more, some states less. In Illinois, all of it shut down. Nope. Stay in your house like a house cat, young, 18-year-old, 15-year-old, 12-year-old. Stay in your house, look out the window, and try to remember what life was like out there. We've got four cats in our home, all four of them. That's why I kind of use that analogy. All four of them are rescues. We brought three of them in from our own property because we found them under the shed, under the porch, or whatever, and we did what we could to save them, and we kept them, and we sometimes sit there as we watch them staring out the picture window or the sliding glass door. Do they remember what life was like to be out there? I wonder, do they even remember what it was like to be in that frigid snow right now? Do they remember it before we save their lives as they stare outside? That's fine for cats, not for kids. I'm picturing kids sitting inside their trapped, their traps rather, their, their cages, if you will, their homes that are now their isolation chambers, looking out the window and wondering what it was like to once be out there. To be out there going to the movies with friends. To be out there going to practice with their teammates. To be out there living lives like free human beings. Knowing, by the way, that kids, healthy kids, have a 99.9% recovery rate from COVID-19. 99.9%. I'm going to say that a couple more times. 99.9. And these kids are being denied the opportunity to live. Why? Because of politicians who are far too big, whose egos are far too big for the offices that they hold, including guys like Mike DeWine. We have seen them just wreaking havoc on people's lives with their own personal egos. 
Lori Lightfoot, by the way, who is not making all of the decisions, she's the mayor of Chicago, but not the governor of Illinois. Lori Lightfoot, by the way, knows who to blame for all of the schools being closed and all of these projects and, 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 and sports and extracurriculars being shut down. She knows who to blame for it. Donald Trump. She's literally saying Donald Trump is the reason why the schools are closed in uh, Chicago and why the teachers there are ready to strike rather than be forced to go back to work. It's Donald Trump's fault. So, look, this is a a very difficult situation, um, and we're in it still uh, because of the incompetence of the previous administration. The incompetence of the previous administration? Then tell me something. What country were the private schools all over Chicago, all over Illinois, all over uh, the country that are open and have in-person learning going on right now? What country were those uh, were those uh, schools in? Pretty sure they were under the same directions and directives of the previous administration, and yet they're open, and their kids are safe, and their kids are enjoying their lives. Why is it that the private schools can figure it out, but the public schools can't? Don't tell me it's the previous administration. The administration's rules were over everybody. And oh, by the way, the previous administration didn't even have control of state law. Your governor made state law. You... The ineffective hack that you are made your own rules for the city of Chicago. You put people out of business. You put people out of work. You put kids out of school. Tell me, tell me what, what country is Florida in? Because Florida is wide open for business. It's wide open for schools. It's in person. Activities are going on. And they've got a higher population of senior citizens, the most vulnerable, than virtually any other state in the country. And yet they're fine. Why is that if the previous administration is to blame? Because it's not an administration. It is about your decisions at the local level. It is your decisions in the mayor's office. It's in the governor's office. Ron DeSantis knew what the hell he was doing. Andrew Cuomo did not. Pritzker did not. Newsom did not. DeWine does not. Christy Noem knew what she was doing. These kids are losing their lives. People are losing their lives. People are losing their livelihoods, all because of the continued overreaction to a virus with a 99.9% recovery rate for young people and about the same recovery rate for people below 70. Anybody below 70. Over 70, particularly with underlying health conditions, that rate is even solid at around 95%, 94.5%, Trying to remember the last CDC number and the update on that. And that's not to say that the, those in the 4% or so of that population that lose their lives don't matter. Of course they matter. Don't get me wrong. But the... Decisions that are made to shut people's lives down cannot be made based on a tiny percentage of the population. Do what needs to be done to go over the top to protect them and let everybody else live. Beatrice is in Cleveland on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Beatrice. Go right ahead. Uh, hi, uh, Bob. I'm, thank you for taking my call. I'm a little concerned because I called several months ago, and initially <laughs> Fauci stated that the vaccines were the end game, and you were all suspicious of that. And Jack Windsor stated that the face masks were just a placeholder for initially, and others, the vaccine and the electronic proof thereof, the code red. And I called in once and talked about code red, and you said, oh, no, the end game is the forced vaccination. Now you seem to think vaccines are the greatest thing since apple pie. 
I don't know who you're listening to. Beatrice, I don't know who you're listening to because I have never said anything of the sort. What I have said... The conversation has shifted to whether the vaccines are safe or whether that was a legitimate $2 trillion transfer of wealth, rather to the political angle of who's going to get it first now. And and there's no question about safety or or its production or where... No, 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 no. Let me clarify where your mistakes are here, Beatrice, because I was very clear when I talked to Gary Wolski, and I was very clear when I talked about drugstores getting them and being available to be delivered from pharmacies. If police officers want to take one, if people in the general population, starting with the most vulnerable populations, want to take the vaccine, they must have access to it first because that is, as I say, the people in the most jeopardy if they want to. My complaint was that if the government or if businesses and corporations are for people to take, we are going to have a fight on our hands because for me, in my opinion, I'm not going to take a vaccine that is uh, unknown in terms of its long-term side effects, especially if it's a vaccine that is for a virus that, Beatrice, hold on, especially if it's for a vaccine that has that extraordinarily high recovery rate that I just talked about. So to me, this is a matter of fairness. It's a matter of prioritization, and it's a matter of freedom. Anybody who wants the vaccine, especially if they are in a vulnerable position by age or health condition or occupation, like police officers and first responders and healthcare workers, if they want to take the vaccine by choice, they, that should be made available to them first. That does not mean I don't have continued questions about the long-term safety or side effects of the vaccine. That's why I'm not taking one. Is that more clear? trillion dollar price tag for something so questionable well you know fine that's fine call it questionable i call it questionable too but that's my my point is there are a lot of people who don't want to wait for the long-term side effects to be known they're concerned about it now they're concerned if they're in a vulnerable position uh because of their job or their age or their health conditions who want to take it we have to make that available to them you know that is that is something that we cannot deny them because some of us have questions about it If their employer says, if you want to keep working here, you must. And what about the electronic proof that's going to be required and the new variants? Because you'll continue to need booster shots, apparently. I know. I know. That's one of the reasons why it's not for me right now. But but I'm not going to tell other people who do want to do that. What about the people in nursing homes that they don't want it, but they're having to take it anyway because... They don't aren't giving a choice. What about people with Down that's, syndrome? That's not true. Homes? That's not true, Beatrice. That's not true. It is. I know somebody. Okay, you may know somebody, but I'm telling you, it's not true because I, I literally just a read choice. a story. Okay, they didn't well, have a choice. All right. Well, Beatrice, I'm not going to argue with you, but I think you're wrong in a general sense. If somebody in some nursing home, and thank you for the phone call, I got to get out here. If somebody in a nursing home that you know was told you don't have a choice, that's that's something that is not law. Um, I literally just read, actually, I'm going to rephrase that. I want to be honest. My wife read something that she told me about yesterday, and she gave me the percentage. Maybe I can ask her during the break, um, if I can get a hold of her, um, that a certain percentage, a high percentage of nursing home workers are choosing not to have the vaccine. So even the workers are not being mandated by law or by rule to take the vaccine. So certainly I cannot imagine that nursing home residents are being mandated in the way that you're talking about right now. I think there's probably a lot of conflicting stories out there. There's misinformation, or maybe 
there's anecdotal stories like the one you told about because you, you know somebody that is, that are being substituted for widespread law. Uh, a, a, you know, a certain individual story does not mean it's the story for everybody. I thank you so much for your phone call. We'll be right back. Look up here, man. Yeah, I um, I really I'm glad Beatrice called because you know there is a lot of information that is out there that I think is misinformation. There's a lot of it that is just incomplete information. In other words, they're not wrong. It's just there's another part of it that that changes the context of it. For me. I'm not taking a vaccine. I'm not recommending anybody in my family take the vaccine. I do not believe it is worth the risk uh, in terms of long-term side effects that we don't know about. And the reason we don't know about them is because they can't be predicted because long terms of time haven't passed. Uh, Show me the impact of people after 12 months, after 18 months, and then I'll talk about, well, maybe this would be a good thing to get. Uh, So for me, especially if the the, uh, vaccine is... um, or rather the virus is, you know, such a low fatality rate in terms of per case basis. That's just where I am. But I want those vaccines to be available to everybody and anybody who says, I want one. I am not going to play around with this. I have a condition. My family member has a condition that if we get COVID, we're going to be in the vulnerable range, the more likely to perhaps lose our lives or, you know, be in very serious health jeopardy. And I want to have the vaccine. I trust the CDC and I trust the FDA and I trust the doctors who say it's it works, etc. I want everybody to have the liberty and the freedom to choose that. And I don't want the government to mandate it one way or the other for anybody And I certainly don't want corporations to be able to do so either, which is exactly what I fear is going to happen as far as required to have it before you can travel, fly, etc. So I hope that's clear. That's my position on it. Gina is in Hudson, wants to talk vaccines too. Hi, Gina, go ahead. Hi, thanks, Bob. Um, I wanted to speak directly in in respect to the flying. Um, I absolutely, you know, right now we're looking at you have to have a, a, a negative test within two days of getting on a flight. Don't know whatever happens if you get close to not making your flight. Um, I'm not sure why they don't have rapid testing at the airport themselves if they're going to get that stringent. But just think about the fact that we have bailed out a lot of this airline industry in billions of dollars helping them through this COVID. And yet they're still putting people side by side, cheek by cheek, uh, you know, that seat in between part. That's not really being done anymore. Um, there's no I don't think it was ever done. <laughs> I no, think when the airlines I, reopened, I yeah, I think when they reopened, they said that's what they were going to do. But then immediately there were videos, people taking pictures of everybody side by side. They're not, they can't afford yeah. to fly half full. They just can't, you know, because exactly. the cost of the jet fuel and everything else makes it impractical for them. But anyway, go ahead. Exactly. They, I think they're going to require these vaccines, especially for if you're going to get into going overseas, if that's ever possible anymore. But I think that they, the fear factor is so high. There's no true protocol, just like you're speaking of the vaccine. There's really no long-term effects, and we're just kind of sitting in the wind, hoping something sticks to say we did this, that, and the other. And, and there's there no true science data behind all of it. 
No, there isn't. And that's the, and, well, and you know, that just depends on who you ask. Because the, the, the Biden administration will say we're all about the science. Fauci will say it's about the science. But of course, the science that he followed when he was working for President Trump was contradictory every single time. He taught, he would say one mm-hmm. thing one day and the opposite the next day, saying the science told him so both days. And even now that he's working for Biden, and I've got to run here, Gina, thanks for the call. Even now that he's working for Biden, two weeks ago he said, let's double mask. It's only common sense that two masks will do better than one mask at preventing transmission of the disease then two days ago he said by the way there's no data whatsoever that indicates two masks would be better than one i mean you know the science is all over the place the mandates are all over the place the rules are all over the place the predictions and the models are all over the place and nobody really can say 100 percent certainty this is right or that is right that's why i want people to have the freedom to choose it's 10 30 time for news we're going to talk with the first challenger to Anthony Gonzalez after Gonzalez's shameful impeachment vote. He'll join us next on AM 1420, The Answer. Welcome indeed, 1036. We continue on this Wednesday edition of The Authority. We've got 24 minutes of outstanding awesome left for you. You may recall my interview uh, with Anthony Gonzalez uh, the day after, literally the day after his shameful vote to impeach Donald Trump, joining nine other Republicans and all of the Democrats in accusing Donald Trump of inciting an insurrection. Without due process, without a committee hearing, without a presentation of evidence, without any defense being mounted, without anything, he said, yes, send this man to trial, even though that trial will begin after he is removed from office. I believe that that interview that I did with Anthony Gonzalez the day after is probably the first day of the end of his political career. People have gone crazy, screaming for him to step down from Congress, resign that seat, and at the very least... For somebody to primary him in the Republican primary in two years when he wants reelected. Well, that call was heard by at least one individual who is ready right now to announce his candidacy for Anthony Gonzalez's seat in the 16th Congressional District. His name is Jonah Schultz, and he joins us now on AM 1420 The Answer. Jonah, good morning. How are you? Morning, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Pleasure to have you on. Jonah, I'm going to confess something here, okay? I don't know one lick about you. I don't know who you are. I don't know what you do for a living. I was tempted to do show prep for you, which is what I always do, and I would do a little search. I don't Google. I do not Google. I search on DuckDuckGo, by the way. Uh, but I was tempted, tempted to go to a search engine and find out a little bit more about Jonas Schultz so I can ask some leading questions about your feelings on this and your candidacy. But then I thought better of it, and I said, you know what? I want Jonas Schultz to introduce himself to me and to everybody else because you're the first person, to my knowledge, to say, I'll take Anthony Gonzalez out because you are so outraged at what he did. So Jonas Schultz, unknown to me, unknown to probably most listeners, who are you? Tell us a little bit about yourself. Absolutely. Well, today I'm officially launching my campaign to primary Anthony Gonzalez in Ohio's 16th Congressional District. And this campaign is going to be focused 
on restoring our individual liberty and bringing the true voice of the people to Washington. Simply put, we need new voices and fresh ideas. And, and most importantly, we need liber- liberty first public servants. We're going to go to D.C. and return the power back to where it belongs with the people of this country. We have so few voices in Washington who are representing the people. We have so-called Republicans and conservatives like Anthony Gonzalez standing by and watching as the federal government is, is entering every avenue of our lives. And, and we, we, myself, simply don't have the luxury to sit back on the sidelines and watch as our freedom is being stripped from our hands. And so I've, I've spent my life uh, in the business world and, and in, in public service. I founded two nonprofit organizations, one being Diamonds in the Rough, which transforms neglected baseball fields into state-of-the-art ballparks and underprivileged communities. Baseball has been at the core of my life, one of the loves of my life, and I want to be able to pass on that opportunity to play the game to others. And the other is the Alliance of Individual America, Indivisible Americans. And, and this nonprofit is dedicated towards bringing together a group of people who are intellectually different, politically different, come from different back, backgrounds, and bringing them together in public service, whether it is planting urban gardens or, as we did over Christmas, uh, putting together a, a, a donation drive for the homeless here in the Cleveland area. And so I've understood the importance of service and, and, and how it aids in bridge building and bringing people together my entire life. But, but first and foremost, this campaign is really really a, a, a signal to Anthony Gonzalez and all of those Republicans who betrayed the American people. Uh, this, this impeachment vote of President Trump, it wasn't just a betrayal of, of President Trump. It was a direct assault on the 75 million Trump voters and anyone who, who dares challenge the corrupt establishment. As you pointed out on your interview with him and, and just before I hopped on, he, he voted yes on this unconstitutional impeachment with no due process, no hearing, no evidence, just seven days before Trump left office. And this is just the tip of the iceberg from Gonzalez. He's voted to send hundreds of billions of dollars overseas in foreign aid while we're struggling here at home with a pandemic and lockdown. He supported these unconstitutional and, and cruel lockdowns and mask mandates that have put hundreds of thousands uh, of people around this country into poverty. Uh, he, is, he is actually rated as, as more liberal than 92% of his own party. And, and simply put, he has forsaken his duty to protect the Constitution and the individual liberty of our people. Wow. Uh, I got to tell you, I'm impressed. You were ready for that. <laughs> you know, a, lot of, a lot of times I talk to somebody for the first time. They don't know what I'm going to ask them, but they're just going to be ready to answer questions, not give a narrative. But you were ready for the narrative, even without knowing I was going to ask for one. So I, I appreciate that, and I respect that. Um, did you have any interest in public office before that uh, vote by Anthony Gonzalez and before the interview and the calls for uh, people to primary him? Was this something you had been considering already, or were you spurred to action solely by that? No, absolutely. My entire life I have been engaged and interested in politics. Uh, you know, I can say from the time that I was young, I came home from middle school. Uh, I would watch Glenn Beck with my father on, on, on Fox News. And that was really when I first began becoming interested and invested and, and understanding that our country was on a very dangerous road. And, and we're seeing the, uh, that really come to fruition here with the beginning of the Biden administration. Uh, and so I've been engaged in politics uh, for, for most, most of my life uh, and, and been directly involved in, in, in speaking with candidates, uh, supporting candidates, uh, aiding in, in, in policy discussions. 
uh, and being involved here in, in Cuyahoga County politics. Okay, so that so that's good. So this is not something that you're just leaping into blindly. You've uh, you've got a lot of experience with politics, so this is something you've thought about. Um, do you have much familiarity with the man who held that seat before Anthony Gonzalez, Jim Renacci, Uh Because he of excuse me, excuse, um, very widely respected by a lot of people for his devotion to the process and to doing things the right way in a bipartisan manner and so on and so forth um, in Washington, D.C. But for some, he wasn't conservative enough. Um, and, you know, they like to call him a rhino. He bristles at that. I interviewed him a few days ago, and he once again talked about how unfair that was because it's inaccurate in terms of his um, uh, conservative uh, bona fides. Uh, so where where are you in comparison to Jim Renacci? by way of his successor Anthony Gonzalez. Well, I know I know Jim personally. I've had multiple conversations with him in the past uh, specifically about uh, about policy and the state uh the, the state of our our state here in Ohio uh moving forward and and I know he has uh some some different plans he's rolling out especially on the economic side of of our recovery here in Ohio. Uh you know I'll just tell you about how what I consider myself. I consider myself a constitutional conservative, but first and foremost, what I like to describe myself as is an individualist. The the individual individualist is is the idea that the ultimate authority, the ultimate freedom, and the ultimate decision making must reside within the individual. That's the foundation of our country, and we have we have strayed so far from that idea. Where, like I said, the the federal government. Uh, and our state government, we've seen through this pandemic, the biggest uh, government power grab in American history, invading all of our individual and private rights uh, that we hold dear as Americans. And so I really don't like comparing myself to this politician and that politician. I hold my standards by the Constitution uh, and our founding fathers. Uh, that's very well stated, uh, and I respect that. Jonas Schultz is my guest. Jonas Schultz is announcing the launch of his campaign for uh, Anthony Gonzalez's uh, congressional seat, Ohio 16. He was going to primary him in the Republican primary in two years, a little less than two years when you actually start about the, uh, start talking about the campaigning. Um, do you have uh, any thoughts on uh, what's going on right now in the federal government with respect to the Congress? You know, Right now, the Congress that has been impaneled since the beginning of the year um, hasn't had much to do because Joe Biden is doing everything by executive order and executive action. There hasn't been much legislating to be done. Um, how do you how do you you know how do you see what's going on right now with the Republicans in a slim minority in both houses uh, of the Congress, and what kind of a change do you think you could make? Well, absolutely. I think you see the Joe Biden administration picking up. Uh, at even uh, a greater pace where Barack Obama left off when he said he would legislate with a phone and a pen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's the most radical agenda in American history. We saw in the first first two days of Joe Biden's administration uh, forcing schools to allow men to participate in women's sports, banning oil production and fracking around the country, taxpayer-funded uh, uh, sex reassignment surgery in, in our military, and taxpayer-funded abortion around the globe. Uh, and, and killing, obviously, is a high profile, killing thousands of uh, thousands of jobs, uh, shutting down the Keystone Pipeline. And congressionally, you know, we're we're in a rough spot right now as a country because we we have a you know, we, we have an opportunity to take back Congress in 2022 and really send a message that we're not going to tolerate uh, these executive orders being crammed down uh, upon the people. Uh, but we, we have a dual problem because we're fighting the radical left on these issues. But we also have uh, the 
the more establishment Republicans like Anthony Gonzalez, who are enabling this type of behavior and have had stood, stood by silently and, and watched as everything that makes this country great uh, is destroyed. And so I think we're, we're fighting a battle on multiple fronts here, uh, but it's really going to begin by ousting these Republicans who refuse to stand up for our individual freedoms uh, and then taking it to the radical left and, 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 and finally going on the offense as conservatives. So often we're, we're backpedaling, trying to defend our positions, stand true in our convictions and our principles, uh, and, and, start, and start putting through legislation that is going to positively impact the people of this country. Uh, you don't, you, even when we had uh, uh, unilateral control, uh, over the chambers of Congress uh, during president, the beginning of Trump's presidency, we saw so little get accomplished that should have been done. Uh, and so I think you, you have a problem with the radical left, but also with the establishment Republicans. Jonas Schultz is my guest. He is announcing his candidacy to primary Anthony Gonzalez in Ohio 16. So I said at the beginning of the interview that I didn't know anything about you. I just wanted to get a complete first look at you by hearing from you. But since you've been talking, I found my way to SchultzForCongress.com. And I see in your About Jonah, uh, or Meet Jonah segment, or section rather, you graduated with $100,000 in student loans. So, Jonah, how do you feel about Joe Biden getting, uh, you know, pushing for ten dollars to $50,000 of student loan relief? Will you see any of that? <laughs> well, I, 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 think, I think that I would see it. Uh, it, it, would be a, it would be a horrendous decision. Uh, you know, really, we have to look at this from, from multiple directions. But the first I want to focus on is, is the morality. Of, of a decision to forgive student loans. What you're essentially asking is you're, you're asking the 70% of Americans in this country who did not go to college, for whatever reason, they might have chose to go to trade school, they might have uh, just not had the financial means to do it or the personal means. You're now asking them to pick up the bill for individuals who made a personal decision to take out these loans. And I, I made a personal decision to do that. It was a, it was a difficult one, and, and when one not many understand when they're 18 years old. Uh, but the reality is, if we want to actually solve this problem, we obviously, what we need to do uh, is we need to hold the government and universities accountable for this debt that they're piling upon uh, the people, not the taxpayers. And so really, at its core, it's, it's such a backwards way of looking at this and looking at who's really responsible, uh, because we're not taking into account individuals who have already paid their student loans, were able to work their way through college, and now you're going to ask them to foot the bill uh, for my debt, and that's just something from a moral uh, uh, human decency standpoint uh, that I am totally against. Well, I, uh, I agree with every word of that, uh, and it's very frustrating. Like you said, people who didn't go to college have to pay the freight for those who chose to go to college, and, you know, including those who decided to get, graduate from high school and enlist in the military to protect and serve. Now we're going to take their tax dollars away from them to pay for somebody else's philosophy degree uh, because they can't pay their own loans back because they couldn't get a job philosophizing somewhere. And that's just an example of it, but it's, it is immoral. It is wrong, and, uh, and it is, of course, well, uh, liberal. Which is which? I guess those things are all synonymous. Uh, Jonas Schultz, it's been a pleasure to meet you and talk to you. I will advise people <clears throat> to learn more about you the way I did after you already started talking. Uh, is that the correct website? Is that still the best one for you? Schultzforcongress.com. Yes, Schultzforcongress.com, and that's spelled S C H U L Z. You can also go to Jonas Schultz for Congress on Facebook, uh, Jonas Schultz O H on on Twitter and Instagram. Learn more about me, my background, uh, and what I plan to do. 
in Congress. Yeah, I was. Uh, you beat me to it. I was going to tell people there's no T in Schultz. It's just S C H U L Z. But uh, you beat me to it. So SchultzforCongress.com. You can learn more about Jonah Schultz. And I'm sure we'll talk again as time goes on. If you ever got anything you want to let us know about, uh, by all means, give us a call, okay? Absolutely, Bob. Thanks so much. Thank you, Jonah. Appreciate it. All right, there's Jonah Schultz. First name to be put into the ring. It's just what? week and a half after the interview I did with Anthony Gonzalez, which was one day after his impeachment uh, vote uh, in the House. (laughs) I have a feeling this boat is going to fill up. I do. I have a feeling there is going to be a ton of Republicans who want to get into that primary fight to get rid of Anthony Gonzalez. And uh, it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. I'm not going to interview all of them, by the way, because we're not in campaign season. But this was the first, so I gave him uh, a first chance to uh, say what needed to be said. I'm glad I did. Learned a lot about him. All right, it's 1051. Uh, We'll take this final time out and come right back. If you want to get in, get in now at 216-901-0945. We'll get you on the air before the end of the show on AM 1420, The Answer. You know, just to follow up on that promo there for Jay Sekulow, you know, it's not an impeachment. He said it's a political harassment. I think it's more than that. I think it's a punishment. Trump, you orange blank you, how dare you come into our swamp and try to drain it? How dare you come in here and try to expose that with which we have been getting away for for the last several decades? How dare you come in here as an outsider to try to tell us how to run the country or an economy or a military or a community? <clears throat> how dare you? That's what this is. It's a punishment. How do we know? Because... He hadn't committed any alleged impeachable offenses on January 20th of 2017. That's the day he was inaugurated. And that was the day they declared the impeachment began. He dared to exist and to enter their world. And that was intolerable. He had to get got. They started getting him on January 20th, 2017. They continue now on February 3rd, 2021. Nothing that happened in between matters. Tom and Medina, you're on AM 1420. The answer. Hi, Tom, go ahead. Hi. um, Have you uh, saw any videos or read any articles about ivermectin recently? Yes. Okay, I, I... To talk about that, um, I I I'm going to go see Doctor Tenpenny, and well, I heard her on the radio. Well, I already haven't had an appointment, but she she talked about zinc, uh, vitamin D, and quercetin. Quercetin, vitamin D three. Yeah, vitamin D three, vitamin C absorbate, 
and zinc is okay. a phenomenal. I take all of those every single day, and I do so and did so under Dr. Tenpenny's advice. That's why I'm so happy to be doing commercials for her to tell everybody because this is exactly, uh, you know, what, what everybody should be doing. And, and, and hydrochloroquine and ivermectin as actual treatments of COVID-19 that the left wants you to think don't work. Why do you, yeah, why do you think they, I saw a recent video about, I can't remember what country, that this guy was swearing to ivermectin as a cure for that. Yeah, that's a word that I, that's a word that I'm not qualified to use. I don't know that I would necessarily call it a cure, but what I would call it is an effective treatment, and it has been for a lot of people, just like HCQ, hydrochloroquine is and was. And, and the answer, what? the answer as to why they try to kill it, if you're going to ask me, corruption. Uh, because those drugs, ivermectin and hydrochloroquine, cost peanuts compared to the drugs that they want to put you on if they diagnose diagnose you with with um, with COVID. And I believe that there. And thanks for the call, my friend. I got to get out here. I believe that there are Democratic elected officials, primarily Democratic elected officials, who are in business, if you will, with some of the pharmaceutical companies, trading political support for donations, et cetera, et cetera, because the pharmaceutical companies make billions particularly when they're selling things that don't cost a buck a dose. That's all the time I've got. Be well. We'll see you tomorrow.